SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to. From the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yira Damarang, hello, I'm your host Lawana Gran and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday the 28th of February. Coming up on today's show, NITV Radio shares part one of Black Medicine's episode with Dr. Josh Tobin, a proud Darug man who chats with Dr. Michaela Couch about the journey from medical student to teacher, working in ICU and the importance of teaching health practitioners about Indigenous culture early in their studies. We also chat to Indigenous writer, director, actor and producer David Cook about his debut feature film, Heart of the Man. And we share a few stories from our NITV news team. All these stories and more coming up after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, Victorians under threat from bushfires before catastrophic conditions descend on the state's west. Opposition leader Jane Hume says new tax relief cannot make up for Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's broken promise. And a group of friends gearing up to trek Mount Everest to raise money for First Nations Mental Health and Healing Centre. A dedicated group of friends are gearing up for a trek up Mount Everest to raise money for a First Nations mental health and healing centre. It's the second time Joshua Kramer has made the journey for his brother, who died on Boxing Day in 2022. Joining the trek is prominent First Nations psychiatrist Dr Clinton Schultz. I don't think, unfortunately, there has been enough awareness raised to that amongst majority populations. So more than anything, I want to get the message out there to majority populations that you know, this is something that our communities are having to face every day. Uh, one of our ma- four main pillars, our strategic pillars at the uh, Institute at the moment, is to form strong uh, relationships with community and to be seen as a trusted partner with organisations and communities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations and communities. The Black Trekkers have teamed up with the national mental health charity, the Black Dog Institute, and they hope to raise $50,000 for the first Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lived experience centre. Victorians under threat from bushfires have hours to leave before catastrophic conditions descend on the state's west, with the Country Fire Authority chief issuing a last-ditch plea for residents to evacuate the fire zone. The Bay Indi bushfire raging northwest of Ballarat has already burnt through more than 21,300 hectares, with forecast temperatures in the high 30s and wind gusts of up to 80 kilometres per hour expected to fan the fumes. 
The danger is set to increase this afternoon and authorities warn that the fire could rip through communities of Beaufort, Elmhurst, Amphitheatre, Lexton, Learmonth and Clunes. Residents have been warned to get out immediately, while those in regions with extreme fire danger have also been told to flee. Country Fire Authority Chief Jason Heffernan told ABC News the risk of dry lightning also escalates concerns. Uh, And today, unfortunately, there's a real potential for thunderstorms and dry lightning as well, which could introduce further fire into the landscape. And just like we saw uh, only last week with the uh, with the Dadswells Bridge fire and the Pomonal fire, uh, you know, both lightning events. Uh, So today will be a very challenging day for firefighters and communities, uh, which is why we need everyone to be uh, very alert and aware of what's going on. The New South Wales Police Commissioner has been criticised for apparently expressing gratitude to the alleged killer of a Sydney couple whose bodies have been found after a week of searching. The accused allegedly drew police a map of the property in Bungonia near Goulburn where he had put the bodies of Luke Davies and Jesse Baird. Karen Webb has said she was very grateful for that assistance, a phrase that some friends of the couple objected to. Assistant Commissioner Michael Fitzgerald has defended her choice of words to Radio 2GB. You know, I'm very surprised with the criticism the Commissioner's got. She's been nothing but supportive. She's given us every resource known to man and woman uh, to, uh, to achieve the results we've got. So th- those words were words that, you know, I, I can say that were reiterated by us. we We're incredibly grateful that we could bring some resolution as early as possible to the families. Opposition Senator Jane Hume says struggling Australians will appreciate the government's new tax relief, but it's not enough to make up for Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's broken election promise. Labor's amended Stage 3 tax package has passed the Senate after passing the lower house earlier this month. This means Australians earning less than $150,000 will receive a greater tax cut and those earning more than $150,000 will still receive a tax cut but less than they would have in the original Stage 3 reforms. Opposition finance spokeswoman Jane Hume says she believes the government has accused the coalition of standing in the way of tax relief to gain more support ahead of the Dunkley by-election in Victoria. However, she says the benefits have been overstated. Well, I think the people of Dunkley would be grateful for anything that is in their pockets right now because, quite frankly, they've seen their disposable income going backwards in the last 18 months. That doesn't necessarily mean that there is support for the lie that the Prime Minister and the Treasurer told more than 100 times since the election. And uh, you know, while I know that Australians who are doing it tough right now will appreciate whatever money can go into their pocket, as little as it is, potentially only $15 a week, is that really enough to buy the Prime Minister's integrity back? I don't think so. Women and children have been killed after an Israeli airstrike on a building in Rafah in southern Gaza. Local residents say the building was full of at least 100 displaced people. Rafah has come under weeks of Israeli bombardment despite some 1.4 million Palestinians seeking safety in the city amid the ongoing war. Yasser Al-Fifi lives near the targeted building. Suddenly and without warning, the strike happened. The building was full of displaced people. Almost more than 50 displaced people were in the building. More than 20 children were in it. Most of the people in the building were women and children. Bodies started falling on us here. This area where our house is located is often bombed. We took bodies out of this building. The scenes were frightening. I can't understand. How long will this situation last? Look at the rubble. There were more than 100 people in the building. Isn't it forbidden to target those children and people? 
The Israeli assault on Gaza has now killed close to 30,000 Palestinians, according to the Gaza Health Ministry. This comes after Hamas militants attacked southern Israel, killing 1,200 people and taking roughly 250 people hostage. Muslim community groups have reportedly rejected invitations to the New South Wales and Victorian Premier's iftar dinners ahead of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. Guardian Australia reports that the Australian National Imams Council and the Islamic Council of Victoria have said they will not attend in protest of the state government's response to Israel's war in the Gaza Strip. Organisations feel the governments have not listened to the voices of the Muslim Australian community as it has called for more action to prevent unfolding horrors in Gaza. The president of the ICV told Guardian Australia that out of respect for the suffering of the Palestinians, it would not be appropriate to hold such an event. And in sport, Australia has announced it will allocate an extra $14.2 million, boosting Pacific Islands' participation in rugby union, part of a diplomatic push in the region. Australia will partner with Rugby Australia in a four-year program to strengthen Pacific Island national rugby union teams, including support for training and women players, as well as opportunities to host major events. It comes ahead of Australia hosting the 2027 Men's Rugby World Cup, and 2029 Women's Rugby World Cup. Rugby Australia President Joe Roth says with so many high-profile events being held in the region, it provides an opportunity in particular to grow Pacific women's rugby. These major rugby events may be based in Australia, but these are home World Cups and games for our Pacific rugby family. This Pacific Oz Sports Partnership will provide pathways to increase Pacific representation in elite rugby. Women's rugby will receive the majority of our Pacific Oz sports funding, including a four-year investment into Samoa's women's sevens program and establishing the Panina Pacifica women's rugby team. And now for a look at today's weather. Broome, mostly sunny, 35. Perth, partly cloudy, 30. Adelaide, partly cloudy, 33. Melbourne, a late cool change, partly cloudy, 37. Hobart, late shower or two, 31. Aubrey-Wodonga, mostly sunny, 38. Canberra, partly cloudy, 32. Wollongong, similar, 28. Sydney, partly cloudy, 29. Newcastle, sunny, 31. Brisbane, mostly sunny, 30. Townsville, showers, 30. Cairns, also showers and 32. Alice Springs, a shower or two and a possible storm, 38. Darwin, showers and a possible storm, 32. And the Torres Strait Islands, much the same, 32. And that is NITV. Radio News. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Join the conversation on radio, online, and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, NITV Radio chats to Indigenous writer, director, actor and producer David Cook about his debut feature film, Heart of the Man. And we share part one of health podcast, Black Medicine, hosted by Dr. Michaela Couch, as she interviews Darag man, Dr. Josh Tobin. But first, here are a few stories from our NITV news team. <music> Thank you. 
The Northern Territory Police Commissioner has announced a major investigation into claims of entrenched racism in the force by former Constable Zachary Rolfe. Mr Rolfe made the allegations during an explosive opening day of evidence in his long-awaited return to the witness box at the inquest into the shooting death of Aboriginal teenager Kumanjai Walker. There's been a huge reaction to Zachary Rolfe's evidence so far, including calls to boost security for the witness after a confrontation outside the court. Do you have any message that you want to at the end of yesterday's hearing, tensions boiled over. Zachary Rolfe and his legal team were approached by supporters of Kumanjai Walker. One community member holding a sandal confronted Mr Rolfe. Mr Rolfe could be heard saying, don't be silly, as he entered the taxi. In court today, the former police officer's legal team demanded those involved be arrested and security beefed up, describing it as an attempt to intimidate my client in relation to his stay in the witness box and giving evidence. Former NT Police Constable Zachary Rolfe fatally shot 19-year-old Kumanjai Walker during an attempted arrest in November 2019. At a trial in 2022, he was acquitted of murder, manslaughter and engaging in a violent act causing death. The NT's top cop has also announced an investigation into Mr Rolfe's explosive claims of widespread racism in the force. Sometimes we don't always get it right and there are pockets of people who make mistakes. And it's about learning from that, not just as individuals but as, a, as an agency. Commissioner Murphy also denied the existence of an award given to a member of the elite tactical response group named after a racist slur. I've asked some questions about it. Um, obviously there's an inquiry to be undertaken that will give me some answers in due course, but yeah, I have no awareness of it. Commissioner Murphy says Mr Rolfe's allegations would also be referred to the NT's Independent Commissioner Against Corruption. Back in the witness box today, Mr Rolfe admitted he lacked respect for the rules at Alice Springs Police Station. He was disciplined for turning off his body-worn camera on multiple occasions. Mr Rolfe said it was common practice at the station to share body-worn vision where use of force had been used for a laugh among officers. The inquest continues tomorrow. Emma Kellaway, NITV News. An inquest has been told a doctor at Dubbo Base Hospital in regional New South Wales admitted to incorrectly diagnosing Camilleroy Dungati man Ricky Dougie Hampson Jr. the day before he died. Ricky Kirby has more. Mr Hampson was writhing in pain when he arrived at the hospital in August 2021. He told emergency room staff he'd smoked cannabis that morning and was subsequently diagnosed with a drug-related condition, despite not having symptoms associated with it. He was prescribed a sedative, but no scans or x-rays were performed. He left the hospital after 19 hours and died at a relative's home a short time later from perforated stomach ulcers. The counsel assisting Simeon Beckett SC told the inquest the treating doctor had admitted the diagnosis was without foundation and erroneous. Mr Beckett said he would explore whether Dougie's cannabis use, having been a prisoner or being Aboriginal, had any bearing on the diagnosis. The doctor, who cannot be named for legal reasons, is scheduled to give evidence at the inquest later this week. Ricky Kirby, NITV News. A dedicated group of friends is gearing up for a trek up Mount Everest to raise money for a First Nations mental health and healing centre. For one of the so-called black trekkers, it is a very personal journey. Dan Rennie has more. In a remarkable display of determination and compassion, 
a group of friends known as the Black Trackers are set to embark on an expedition to Mount Everest Base Camp. Smile for the camera. Yeah. It's the second time Wanyi and Kalkadun barrister Joshua Kramer has made the journey. At the heart of his endeavour lies a deeply personal journey. He tragically lost his brother to suicide on Boxing Day 2022. While I was over there, I thought to myself, geez, I would have loved to be able to do something like this with my brother or people I really care about. So I came back and I had that idea in my mind, you know, I want to go next year, I want to keep going. Joining the trek is prominent First Nations psychiatrist, Gamilaroi man, Dr Clinton Schultz. The team will be raising funds and awareness for First Nations mental health. I don't think, unfortunately, there has been enough awareness raised to that amongst majority populations. So more than anything, I want to get the message out there to majority populations that... You know, this is something that our communities are having to face every day. The Black Trackers have teamed up with the national mental health charity, the Black Dog Institute. They hope to raise $50,000 for the first Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lived experience centre. One of our four main pillars, our strategic pillars at the uh, Institute at the moment, is to form strong uh, relationships with community and to be seen as a trusted partner with organisations and communities, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations and communities. During the trek, they will face physical and mental obstacles, like those battling mental health issues. We're going as a team effort too, so you're only as strong as your last person, and we'll walk together as a group, we'll take breaks when we need to, and we'll help each other get up there. A staunch group of 11 will make up the team heading to Nepal. Dan Rennie, NITV News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Heart of the Man, the debut feature film by... Indigenous writer, director, actor and producer David Cook isn't just another boxing movie. In a conversation with NITV Radio, David Cook revealed that his inspiration for the film stemmed from a deep desire to share his own life story. Independently produced, Heart of the Man is set to premiere in Brisbane tonight, marking the beginning of a nationwide rollout throughout the rest of the year. Time to talk about a new Australian drama, Heart of the Man, that will be premiering in Brisbane on the 28th of February. The movie is described as tough, yet uncompromising. To explore Heart of the Man, I'm joined by uh, director, actor and producer David Cook. David, welcome to NITV Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Very, very excited to be talking with you. Yeah, you're not only the director and producer, you also play one of the key roles. What was the initial spark or idea that led you to the creation of this film? Yeah, I think I've I've always been drawn to boxing films. You know, that, that story of the underdog is something that I've loved. This story was very much one that's close to home. So a lot of my life stories is sort of bleeding through the characters. So when I decided to to make a feature film, I felt it was you know, something that I needed to do as opposed to something that I wanted to do. So, you know, it was only right to make Heart of the Man and, and talk about, you know, this story and my life story through there. So the spark really came from just a yearning to, to tell my story and then sort of be honest with myself for my, for my uh, debut feature film. 
the movie is not just about boxing. It delves into other social issues. There are so many things wrapped into this movie. Yeah, that's right. We have the boxing elements in there, but it's very much a, a story about identity and grief and acceptance. It's a very human story. So, you know, we have, um, you know, First Nations characters like our mob, and they're represented in uh, LGBT characters that are, you know, all linked to stories and, and um, parts of my life. You know, although it is boxing, it's very much a story of identity and following your path and being true to sort of your heart's desire and what you love. The movie has a predominantly indigenous and LGBT cast with uh, Parker Lido and yourself uh, playing the main characters. I had the privilege of uh, previewing the movie and I can say the acting is fantastic, really, really very, very powerful. Can you tell us about uh, your casting process and uh, what you're looking for from uh, your cast? So, you know, doing some acting myself, you're always working with different talent on productions. Thankfully, I'd worked with most of my, my actors before. So when I was writing the film, I almost was writing with them in mind. And then once we started auditioning, they were the, the sort of first people who, who got the script. Thankfully, you know, they were really excited by it. They were all Queensland talent. So it's an all Queensland production. So the casting process really sort of started internally with people I'd worked for, people I'd worked with. So you already have that trust and rapport as, as an actor. I'd worked with Parker on an independent feature before. So when you've acted with someone, you, you've been vulnerable with them. You sort of emotionally invested in them. So you're, you're already in a safe place. For this story, thankfully, I'd already worked with these his talent, and it really helped and, and showed on screen. The undertoned theme is identity in general, spiritual identity, and, and the coming-of-age story told with some culture in there yeah, yeah, for yeah. once. You know, yeah. it was really nice. And you say, heart of the man, if you just uh, look at uh, the initial, uh, you know, the, the, the first uh, layer of the movie, it's about boxing. A boxer's heart has to be tough and enduring and all that. But also there's the heart of the man, which is uh, the emotional side, uh, the love and uh, uh, respect in the community and uh, being appreciated and accepted. So heart of a man, maybe hearts of the man. 100%. When we came up with the title, Heart of the Man, you know, you think of this this tough kind of, you know, uh, strong type of thing. Where in the film, we really play on the, the vulnerability. You can be different and still be strong. Vulnerability is a strength. And that's very much a, a theme that I wanted to come through by the end of the film. Exploring that in the realm of boxing and theatre. What unexpected obstacles did you face during uh, production uh, uh, of this movie and uh, how did you overcome those obstacles? Funnily enough, it's almost been two years since we, we finished filming because, um, you know, just the state of the industry and the strikes and things putting everything on hold for a long time. But when we were filming, we had the COVID peak in Queensland. So we were right in the middle of the highest COVID numbers for Queensland. We were a week in and... Um, one of our main cast had COVID, so we had to take 12 days off immediately. 
We also navigated the Brisbane floods during that time as well. Those two really stretched out the production timeline and those two challenges were really, really tough. You know, transportation to and from set, access to locations, sickness, COVID, those two obstacles in themselves, yeah, they were very tough. Is there anything that would be surprising for people and uh, whether it's behind the scene or in the content? Uh, what's something about this film that might be surprising for people? I feel that uh, what may surprise people is that um, it is an independent film. However, it was very much a, a guerrilla film. Uh, believe it or not, when people watch it, we had days where we had four crew members. Uh, we had days where we didn't even run sound. There was days where we kind of only had a few hours to shoot something that takes a few days. So the, the level at which we made the film might shock a few people in the Q&As at the premiere when we talk about just how little we did to capture what we have. So I think that's something I, I really want to share um, with everyone, that anyone can do it, no matter how independent your production is. If, you, if you're passionate about it, it can be done with little or no resource. No, it's a very beautiful movie and as I said in the introduction it's premiering on the 28th of February in uh, Brisbane will it screen nationally because I can't wait for this movie to come to Melbourne where I'm based so we're starting with the uh, Brisbane premiere and then we have some festivals locked in and we will be doing some screenings interstate 100% in Melbourne I think we may have a festival already locked in and that will be uh, announced as soon as they uh, lock in their schedule, we can let you know and we'd love to come and see you guys in Melbourne. Is there a website where people can learn more about the film and your work, uh, at least uh, as we await uh, the national availability of the movie? People can jump onto uh, Facebook or Instagram and search Harder Than Man Film. There we'll have updates on premieres, screenings, behind the scenes. Uh, new social media content. So yeah, Heart of a Man on Instagram and uh, Facebook. Definitely the place to go. David Cook, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio. Thank you for having me. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Black Medicine is a health podcast hosted by Dr. Michaela Couch as she interviews First Nations healthcare professionals. Today, we share part one of Black Medicine's episode with Darag man Dr. Josh Tobin, who chats with Dr. Michaela Couch about the journey from medical student to teacher, working in ICU, and the importance of teaching health pra- practitioners about Indigenous culture early in their studies. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where this podcast episode was produced. SBS pays our respects to the traditional owners, the Kamaragal people of the Gringai Nation and their elders past and present. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from today. Jingiwala, welcome to Black Medicine, a podcast about First Nations health by First Nations people. I'm your host, Dr. Michaela Cooch, a proud Bundjalung woman, Indigenous doctor and health expert. 
today we are talking to an amazing doctor, educator and aspiring anesthesiologist, Dr. Josh Tobin. So excited to have you here. Now, you combine a lot of amazing things that people don't actually, I guess you're a very humble guy, but you are a doctor, you work in the education space, and you're following your training career goals of becoming an anesthesiologist. Would you love to mind share with us a little bit about yourself and your mob? So my name's uh, Dr. Josh Tobin, born and raised in Penrith. And so my mob are Darig from Western Sydney and the Blue, and the Blue Mountains region. Someone comes from my father's side and I'm very, pr- very proud of my direct cultural and heritage and actively participating with all my aunties and, and uncles and as much as much as I can. So yeah, I'm also uh, a doctor. This is my fourth year out of med school. Fantastic. From the riff. Amazing. Lots of my friends and colleagues are from the riff and it's such actually a really nice place, like lots of community, lots of important things like the lovely river, all these things. I'd love to hear about what your road was into medicine. Yeah, so I started medicine. I was, uh, I think I've heard of the same as you, a big nerd in high school. I went into medicine straight out of high school when I was, I think, seven, 17. I started down in Sydney, had a few issues, so took a little bit of time, a little bit little, uh, time off, and then restarted up in Newcastle, which was amazing, the Newcastle University there. Uh, this is all undergraduate. Mm-hmm. And then finished up in 2020 um, at Newcastle. But yeah, I just think I figured out, funnily enough, quite late in year 11 that I wanted to do medicine and just hit the books hard and crunch through. I actually quite enjoyed, quite enjoyed high school and studying. Again, a bit of a nerd. So straight into med school, a few bumps, but loved med school. I think yeah, as, as hard as it was and as kind of as many people will hear, it's, it's a lot of work. I loved it though. Like it was learning so much, like huge amounts of knowledge. You're probably the, you're probably the same. Just so much to learn, but really enjoyed mm. it. Yeah, medicine is very, very rewarding. But at the same flip of the coin, you have to put in the hours. You have to do the study. You have to be able to spend a lot of time dedicated to your studies because the question is not are you smart enough, but do you have the dedication? And that means a lot of time away from family, a lot of time away from friends, like missing out on birthdays, missing out on parties. It's hard work. And when you're a really young person and you have commitments to mob and to your family, it's very, very difficult to juggle all those things because you feel the commitment to your studies, you see your future, you want to help people, but you also see the commitment and loss of time to your family and friends, which is really difficult. Mm. So I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. In terms of starting, you are right, actually. When I started med school, I was just 18, like 18 in one day, and I found it so hard to leave my family from a small town and even just being in the big smoke, being at a, at a university, the difference in learning-wise from a high school perspective to a university perspective was so grand. Even though I had done the highest and the smart, like the highest level of English and maths and all of those things, the like commitment to university study is so far advanced. You, I don't think you can explain it to someone unless they're understanding of being in that same process and then medicine on top of that not only are you a uni student 
uni is like a few days a week for some students and they pack it all into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But for medical school, you're there every day, nine to four, nine to five, eight to six. And you literally have a commitment of time to that degree. Oh, I have a, I have a great memory from my, fir- I think my first week of med school. And uh, so in year 12, you did biology. And so you study the kidney and you're like, great, excellent. So the fir- one, of the first, one of the lectures was on the kidney. I was like, excellent. I know the kidney. Like, we've got this. We've got this. Like, we'll be able to yeah. knock this out. And then within the first six slides, we surpassed everything we'd studied in high school. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. This is, there's like 20 more slides left of this lecture. This is, okay, this is going to be a bit of a curve. And I also have memories of uh, working through um, med school as well. I used to work in kitchens and stuff like that. So, mm. yeah, I remember finishing at 1 a.m. and then going to a 8 a.m. anatomy shoot. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, let's just, let's just get going. It's crazy because our experiences of medical school are quite different to many people's experiences of medical school where we aren't, well, I don't know about you, but I wasn't fortunate enough to be growing up in a family that didn't have any support. So I had to support myself through medical school Mm. and I was living away from home and the ability to be like, okay, I need to save some money to look after my life and then also have time to study it was such a hard balance. It took a lot of commitment. Oh yeah, huge. No, I'm uh, my. I come from a family of teachers and artists. Definitely skilled, but uh, navigating med school and kind of like the hidden curriculum um, was definitely its own challenge and a unique challenge of kind of like figuring out why you should start research in third year and all that other med school stuff. Yeah, totally. And then you have like the family feeling of like. They are lovely and supportive, but I guess it's really hard when you don't have anyone who's done medicine before because you're like, oh, I don't know how to explain this complex problem to you and the commitments needed, but I love you and thank you for being supportive, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the cat. Thank you so much for the lasagna, but I, I need to crush this. Uh, I need to crush yeah. eight hours of study today. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. But yeah, it's really interesting the like shared experience that we have um, when you mob and when you try and do something like medicine because we all experience something very similar, which is dedication, commitment. The really beautiful thing is you find friends that are so much have so many commonalities to you and are so inspiring and you really work together especially when you're in mob because you have the ability to work together and they're people that you like oh yeah absolutely so the amazing thing that i really admire about you is that you've also allotted your time to teach medical students what is your role at university and how did you get into this yeah so it's actually quite new i started a lecturing role at the university of macquarie teaching Indigenous health, um, which was real, I was uh, very passionate about. And I've just, it's probably been about six months, so I'm just getting used to, getting used to the role um, and understanding it, but I'm teaching first to fourth years at the moment, which is good. My role there is teaching Indigenous health. And I think for me, the most important thing to start off with is making sure that medical, under, uh, medical students understand early on about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture and how it affects health and how healthcare is different. And the other thing that I'm trying to get on very early is the fact that all cultures are different. So um, Mm. right now I'm up in Darwin, completely different to the cultures and languages and language groups that are down in Sydney. So it's a very different teaching that that I go through. So I'm very comfortable with teaching because I'm blessed by the fact that I 
am teaching on direct land, so the lands, lands of my ancestors. So I'm incredibly proud of the fact that I can do that and the fact that I can teach and share knowledge, which we've been doing for generations and generations, the fact that I can continue that is huge for mm. me. Um, I'm so, so rewarding for that fact. I think that there's two things that are really important here. And one is that you put in the time and commitment in your life to pass on knowledge to medical students, especially because medical students are the future and they're really important to help foster and and really encompass their knowledge in a way that is open and is kind to, you know, understanding a culture that's not their own culture and is the first culture of Australia. So I think it's really important that, yes, you are teaching those people and you are providing with knowledge about the, the oldest culture in the world. But secondly, I admire teaching is really hard, hard and and really time-consuming. You have to know your subject really well, and then you have to explain it in a way that your audience will be able to take it on and learn from it. So I really applaud you on your your hard work because a lot of people say, oh, I want to do some teaching for university, but they never really get around to it. So I'm really impressed that you've gotten this role and you are so passionate about it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it's a... It's an amazing job and role. <laughs> Does Macquarie at the moment have an entry pathway for Indigenous people to enter medicine? This is what I'm getting my head around. So I think there is a pathway or there is kind of like a, a conversation. So it is a postgraduate course. Mm. So for the medicine course there, I believe there are certain entry pathways. There's, I don't think there's a defined one at the moment, but they're in, they're in the process of figure, figuring that all out, which I'm a part of. Yeah. And I'm still trying to get my head around the, the whole university and uh, four years of med school that I didn't go to because I went to Newcastle. So yeah. teaching at Macquarie, I'm just kind of like, all right, some of you guys are here, some of you guys are off around the world, so it's just trying to get my head around where everyone is at the moment. Students over the world? Yeah, they do a, um, a placement in India uh, for a certain period of time, at, like in, I think it's in third year, and they all go to India for a period of time just to, to learn about that. They also go to um, a local uh, Aboriginal medical centre as well to learn that. Uh, but importantly as well, they there are Aboriginal medical, uh, medical students at Macquarie University. So I hope in the coming years to basically make sure that we have a close-knit uh, group of people from Macquarie University that follow in and like basically just create a community around Macquarie University and the, the medical students. I think there's only, there's only a small handful of them at the moment, but they're, they're great students so far from everyone I've met. That's so cool. Now, what is the best thing you find about teaching? It's a great question. I was thinking about this. The best thing about teaching, I think, is, well, from a personal perspective, you have to know your subject really well and you get really comfortable with teaching it. By the 10th time you've taught something, you're like, excellent. Like, I think I've, I think I've wrapped my head around this one subject or like topic quite well. So from a selfish reason that, but also I think I love getting ideas in early because you, if you're teaching first and second, second years stuff about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture early, it passes on. And then in third and fourth year, you can see that they're using that information to then structure how they go on placement and everything like that. So um, I think that, that people can get huge amounts out of your teaching. And my other favourite thing is that uh, because I'm actively working as a doctor, I can teach super practical stuff. Like I'm like, guys, mm. I was in your position four years ago, four or five years ago. This is what you need to know about like even just simple like clinical placement stuff, which I think um, 
I, I really enjoy because they're like excellent. I, they need practical advice. But yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of really good things. <laughs> and what would you say is the hardest thing about teaching? Teaching students who don't want to learn about your subject, I think, is hard. Um, I haven't run into it too much, but I think you can definitely have people who aren't engaged or don't value the information that you're giving. I haven't really run into it, run into too much in Macquarie, to be perfectly honest with you, relatively because I'm quite new. But I know that sometimes at teaching Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health, some people just aren't interested uh, as much as something like pharmacology. For me, that's, I think, the most frustrating thing. But yeah, it's more outside university, to be perfectly frank with you. But that would be, I think that would be the worst thing. I don't understand how people couldn't be interested. Like there's so many facets that will one, help you in in your medical profession and two, the like knowledge of family and culture and community is just so beautiful and we have such an ability to work and provide all of our skills to all of our patients. So why would you not learn about the most beautiful culture in the world? Mm. It just doesn't make sense to me. If you're a doctor in Australia, you will be working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander patients. That's you need to know these things. It's the same thing as learning yeah. about diabetes or something like that. You need to know these this information. So I don't, <laughs> I don't get why you're not trying to pay attention for these types of things. Yeah, you will see Indigenous patients. You will see patients in all of your specialties that are First Nations people. And you owe it to the culture and the oldest living culture in the world to be your best person for that. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. And you're listening to NITV Radio. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories at our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Friday with more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Lawana Grant. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Mm-hmm.